going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, greetings and salutations, my friends. A happy Wednesday, although when I looked at the forecast and in particular some parts of this province, including just north of the city, when I look at the possible, again, this is possible, wind chill factor for tonight, if I don't see, if you don't hear from me tomorrow, you know things have gone horribly awry. Minus 51 for a wind chill factor. I'm going to double check on this, but that's from Environment Canada. That's as low as it could get, apparently. It scares me a little bit. I don't recall the last time I saw a wind chill quite like that in, in Alberta, in southern Alberta. But it worries me a little bit. And you can tell it was it was certainly chilly just feeling it through, opening the door for a little bit to let the dog out. And dog didn't want to be out there for very long this morning. And I can imagine that tomorrow, uh, probably going to be the same kind of thing. Actually, I think there are a lot of teachers and parents that are sitting there, or teachers and students, not necessarily the parents, who are sitting there going, hey, if that stays up, guess what? No school again tomorrow. As some people have said, can you send us some thoughts and prayers? Uh, are we already sick of school? February 6th today. And apparently some kids and some teachers just, they've had enough. Uh, on today's episode, it is Wednesday. Tom Babin is a speaker, an author, a blogger, and also a cycling enthusiast. He'll join us as the Winter Cycling Congress is being hosted here in Calgary today. He's also the keynote speaker for that event. And we'll chat with him after 5 o'clock about the kinds of things that he's hearing. Uh, some of the things, especially from Sweden and some of those countries. Uh, what are they doing? What can we do differently here in Calgary to make things a little easier for our cycling friends? And also do a little bit of a rant on... I don't understand the pushback. Why are we pushing back on cycling? There's so many things that are positive that will actually impact those of us who do drive. But if you want to weigh in, have at her. Text in 403-974-8255. I'll get to those before, uh, after 5 o'clock. After 5.30, the province has its very first artist in residence. Lauren Crazy Bull is her name. Named earlier on in the week or maybe even late last week. And we've been able to connect with Lauren now to talk about her journey to this point and what she has envisioned for this brand new position, the artist in residence here in Alberta. She'll join us after 5.30. We're going to start things off talking green energy in a second. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right, so let's fire into this one because there's one project in particular that struck my eye when going through the list of those who are going to be receiving uh, millions of dollars being divvied up by the province for clean, uh, clean technology projects here in this province. Eleven were chosen to receive the funding, which was announced this morning in Calgary. And Environment Minister Shannon Phillips was uh, in amongst the crowd. The money all coming from Emissions Reductions Alberta, which has been awarding cash since 2008. So this is nothing new. It's been going on for over a decade now. The whole goal, uh, as the province says, to help industry invest in technology that reduces both emissions and costs. Now, one of those projects comes in the form just west of the city from Lafarge out in uh, Exshaw, actually. And the low-carbon uh, low fuels project involves switching from using natural gas to using waste-derived fuels that would otherwise end up in landfills, is how it's being explained. 
But to learn more about this project and talk a little bit more in detail about the shift from a concrete and cement industry, joining us now is Jonathan Moser from Lafarge. Uh, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Talk a little bit about what is planned for this project in particular and what the funding is going towards. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I mean, we were very uh, pleased uh, to receive, it'll be $10 million towards what we're calling a low-carbon fuel project for our Exhaw cement plant. People would be familiar with that plant now, Mm. the largest in Canada, given our recent modernization, a $700 million investment uh, that started up in 2016. And what we're trying to do is reduce uh, the amount of fossil fuels, so in this case it's predominantly natural gas that we use on our new kiln and replace it with what we call lower carbon fuels. And this is things that people would be familiar with from carpets and textiles, uh, wood products, wood fines, non-recyclable plastics, and uh, uh, tire fluff, we call it, kind of the nylon and uh, the steel that's in a tire, as well as construction and demolition debris. And in cement production, there's kind of two point sources for greenhouse gases. One is on the combustion side, which is the fuel that goes in to heat the kiln, which is what this project will address. And the other side is process emissions where you're heating up the limestone and that chemical reaction uh, leads to CO2 being produced. So we are addressing that side of it through a lower carbon cement. You'll hear this term called uh, Portland limestone cement that we're going to be uh, producing more of to make even greener infrastructure in Alberta. But this particular project deals with how we can replace these fossil fuels as part of the energy that's used to make the kiln go. What's the hope or what was the dream when you guys first thought this project through? Was there anything that really uh, kick-started the whole idea in the first place? Right. Well, partly it deals with fuel cost, uh, as you can imagine, and um, those listening in can as well, is that we're looking to how we can reduce the energy costs that go into the plant. That was certainly part of it. And the other side of of it, of course, is how we can look at uh, reducing our carbon footprint at the plant itself. We've made Good strides with the modernization of the plant, reducing our greenhouse gas footprint by 25% uh, with some new modern technology, uh, production technology at the plant. But how do we go one step further and which aligns with our uh, overall Lafarge Wholesome uh, goals around reducing our CO2 per ton of cement by 2030, looking at a 40% reduction. So, the other um, catalyst for this is Exxon, uh one of five of our plants in Canada. The Exxon plant was and still is permitted to use uh, tires as a substitute low-carbon or alternative fuel, as we call it, but we never put it in a system. So the Exxon plant 
still to this date doesn't have any system to handle the low carbon fuels and that was really what we were trying to dire- to address as well is and this funding will go a long way to making that project happen. You segued extremely well into my next question, which was in terms of being able to get kind of over the hump in a sense and make sure that these uh, these ideas come to fruition. I assume that the funding and that kind of puts the the bow on the on the top of this uh, this whole idea and allows you guys to move forward with some of the initiatives that you know are going to be uh, better off for you down the road. Yeah, we think uh, internally there's also uh, those channels we have to go through with uh, multinationals such as Lafarge Wholesome in our Canadian operations. There's a competition, if you will, for capital uh, for any number of projects, and the extra low-carbon fuel project is one of them. I mean, this is a great catalyst. Uh, to see this through to completion. We're waiting to hear for funding from um, the federal government as well through their low carbon economy fund. And we're still working um, and waiting for the final approval on the uh, amendment to our approval to operate at Exaw to allow us to introduce these low carbon fuels. So Certainly the announcement today we feel will help be that spark to propel the project forward. And the other side of it is that we're looking, you know, these materials that we are going to use at low carbon fuels are going to be diverted from landfill. Part of the project uh, is to create a pre-processing facility in Calgary where we can sort all these different uh, waste streams and turn it into a valuable fuel for us at the Exxon plant. And that's a whole other bigger narrative where, you know, we're continuing to challenge both at the city level and the provincial level is how, what if we never had to talk about waste and how about if we never had the landfill things because a facility such as as ours at the Exxon Exxon plant can use these energy sources to turn it into the cement going into the concrete that continues to build and meet uh, the growing infrastructure needs of Alberta. I know in oil and gas, we talk a lot about being greener and that kind of thing. Is that a conversation that has been going in uh, the concrete and cement business as well? Yeah, very much so. I mean, this is um, the one I'm alluding to at the Exxon plant in particular around the low-carbon fuel usage as well as our low-carbon cement. We've uh, worked with various other companies that have uh, new technologies and advancements. Um, If your listeners may have heard of the Carbon Cure Company that sequesters CO2 Uh, into concrete. We've done some piloting with them. We're working uh, with a company called Inventus, uh, who is at this Propel uh, Energy Conference that we spoke at the announcement today that's looking at uh, capturing uh, CO2 from our flue gas and using it for any number of purposes, whether on our plant site or for things, uh, you know, medical uses, all the things that carbon utilization, a whole carbon capture utilization and storage conversation, which 
even me saying it points out that how do we get this more mainstream and saying that, you know, CO2 in particular can be used as, you know, a beneficial product as opposed to this waste stream that most of us think of other than when we're enjoying a nice craft beer where it's put to good use. Jonathan Lafarge, or Jonathan Moser at Lafarge, joining us on the program to talk about uh, what his company is doing that got them some cash to the tune of, uh, I believe it's $10 million from the ERA uh, in regards to Low Carbon Fuels Project. We'll talk more about it and a little bit more about the industry in just a second. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. So this project out at Exshaw is expected to not only reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but also co-firing waste is expected to reduce landfill waste by up to 15%. Also expected to create 100 full-time jobs in the waste processing facility in Calgary. Jonathan Moser from Lafarge is our guest, the head of environment and public affairs for the company. And and one final question for you, uh, Jonathan, has to do with the idea of setting the example not just across canada but across the world i know the oil and gas industry talks about it is you know how do we make ourselves world class on that front and is that a discussion point that you guys are having uh, as you go ahead with projects like this right well we i mean we're um kind of the poster child uh for uh energy intense trade exposed sector and we're this uh, funding allowing us to transition to low carbon fuel will certainly go a long way in making us uh, continue to remain competitive. Uh, carbon pricing remains uh, a reality for us. Um, our plants in both British Columbia and here in Alberta. Uh, so we deal with that context, which doesn't make it any easier for us from a cost of manufacturing point of view, but it's these type of programs through Emissions Reduction Alberta and a similar type in British Columbia that have allowed us, and in this case with this ERA funding today, uh, will allow us to move forward on this uh, low-carbon fuel program. And and I think that's to your point about how does the industry adopt. I think that I mean, Lafarge is proud to be a leader in that, in transitioning to low-carbon fuels, but we need the other plants um, uh, throughout Canada to do the same and kind of step up their game and and build upon, uh, you know, we're hoping to share. That's the other point, is that we're working with UFC um, and a number of other different partners to take the learnings that we're finding and be able to make it available so that other cement uh, companies can take advantage of it as well because it benefits everyone if they take a look at what we're doing and the successes we can have from this program. Yeah, looking forward to seeing what you guys have in store in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead for sure. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time and the insights into today's announcement. Joe, thank you. Happy to have you out to Exxon whenever you're available. Jonathan Moser, the head of Environment and Public Affairs at Lafarge Canada, out at Exshaw, $10 million going from the province to their pro- uh, to their project, which is uh, the Low Carbon Fuels Project, switching from using natural gas at the Exshaw plant to using waste-derived fuels that would otherwise end up in landfills. I do quite enjoy some of the... the 
feedback on the text line. There seems to be this, uh, and and there's some valid points. I didn't get around to it because we're up against the clock, but a question that I will ask in the future is, is it cleaner burning? Is a great question. I mean, when it comes to uh, garbage burning versus natural gas, does it burn cleaner? I don't. I don't personally know that, but it's a question worth answering. There's others who are like, "Oh, this is just another uh, government waste idea." To which I say again, and I'm going to keep repeating this because I seem like a broken record sometimes. But why should we not be trying to be better to our environment for the future? Right. That that's my main point out of all of it is we should be trying again. I also grew up in that, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle generation. So sorry for that. Going back to my whole apologies from yesterday thing. This is Calgary today on 770 CHQR. I think I've hit the trifecta. When it comes to topics that agitate some of our listeners between uh, green energy, U.S. politics, and now we're going to talk bike lanes, cycling, the cycle track. How about winter cycling? The Winter Cycling Congress is being hosted here in Calgary this year. And one of the keynote speakers is Tom Babin, a known speaker, author, blogger here in Calgary. And Tom joins us now on the program. Tom, thanks for this. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with what is going on here in our city today. Well, the city is hosting uh, the 7th Winter Cycling Congress, which is uh, an international gathering of people talking about uh, ways of making winter cycling easier and better and uh, getting more people out there riding uh, year-round. It's something that I think a lot of people talk about, especially when Old Man Winter has made its arrival. What are some of the key talking points that we're hearing at this conference today? Well, a couple of things. I think one of the key ones is that um, whatever cities can do to make it safe and easy for people, they tend to do it. And we see this in cities all over North America, all over Europe. If you've got um, safe infrastructure that's maintained well for the winter, if the snow is cleared properly, uh, people do it. So, you know, uh, the cold is a problem in a lot of places, and a lot of places are experimenting with this. And uh, in a lot of cases, it works. If you if you make it easy for people, they tend to do it. The present uh, weather conditions not exactly withstanding here, but we've had a pretty lucky winter thus far. So I assume the numbers are looking pretty good here in Calgary in terms of what I guess would be classically called winter cycling conditions. Yeah, this is an interesting stretch. I mean, luckily, this is the anomaly. Um, When you look at the numbers, you realize how rare weeks like this really are. I mean, the average winter day in Calgary is pretty pleasant. You know, we've got lots of sunshine. Um, It's just below the freezing level. And uh, what we see in Calgary is that about 30% of the commuters who are entering downtown uh, ride year-round. And it's interesting how consistent that number is across a lot of places. So if you if you uh, have good infrastructure and it's maintained, you'll get, you know, uh, you can probably expect about 30% of people to use it year-round. What kinds of things do you think the city is lacking right now or the city needs to improve upon or things that the city is doing well when it comes to uh, winter cycling? Well, one thing I've been really happy with is the winter maintenance, um, the plowing, um, the keeping the, the bike routes safe. The city's doing a, a very good job. I'm always very impressed with that, and uh, that's a huge part of it because if you if you don't feel safe, if you think you're going to slip on the pathway, you're, you're unlikely to ride. But I've, I've been really pleased. I mean, there are exceptions, but overall, I think the city does a good job with that. Um, I think we need to improve by... Um, continuing to uh, make the connections. I mean, we put the cycle track network downtown a couple of years ago, and it's great, but it's not really complete. There are still some gaps in it. 
doesn't really connect to the wider pathway network in all the places. So just finishing off these little things, adding little bits here and there, little connections, I think would make a, a huge difference for a lot of people. What kinds of things are you learning in this process? Because you guys have people from all across the world that are talking about this particular uh, topic. Yeah, it's interesting how similar uh, people are all over the world when it comes to winter. You know, we hear a lot of the same things that um, people are afraid of slipping and falling and they uh, they want a bike, they just don't feel safe. Um, all these sorts of things. You know, attitudes about winter are a little bit different everywhere, but um, the the commonalities are, are people's attitudes towards winter and, you know, the reluctance to get outside maybe. And what we've seen is that any little bit helps. You know, some places are building uh, great bike lanes. Um, some places pack the snow down instead of removing it. Um, some places give away, you know, free uh, winter tires to cyclists. So there's really cool initiatives that, uh, you know, I'm finding really inspiring. And then just to see pictures uh, from around the world are amazing. We heard of a story uh, from a school in Finland today, a elementary school of 1,200 students, and they showed us a video. A thousand of them ride their bikes every day, and it was about minus 20 degrees, and there's just streams of kids riding in over and over again. So it's really inspiring to see that. What kinds of things does the city need to do or do even cyclists need to do to turn that reluctance around, that whole idea of, oh, man, there's a flake of snow on the ground, so I better drive just to be on the safe side. How do you turn that around on on some people who think that, hey, we don't ride our bikes in the middle of winter? Um, I think the city can do a lot by, you know, uh, making it, uh, building safe infrastructure and clearing it. But I do think there's, it comes down to us as individuals as well. I think um, a lot of Canadians, despite being winter people, still, you know, I always say they fear the winter. That might be too strong of a word, but we certainly avoid it. And what I've learned in getting out there and riding year-round, which I do just because I love riding and I find it better than sitting in traffic in my car, is that it, for me it really um, re- it sparked the love of winter again, which I had forgotten since I was a kid, I think, too. So, you know, the more you get outside, the less afraid you are, the more realistic your expectations are. You know, I, I, have, a, I have a clear idea of what I need to wear on certain days and I don't get scared like I used to. Um, and this happens to me all the time. A day like this, I sort of freak out because it's so cold and I end up, uh, I end up um, wearing too many layers and I get too hot. So that's a problem. But, you know, experience overcomes this. And I think just that love of winter means you'll be out there experimenting a bit more than you might otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Tom Babin is our guest talking about the Winter Cycling Congress happening here in Calgary. Tom, I've got a couple more questions for you, so hang on the line there. I do want to say, he just he mentioned something that I was thinking of, which is, if I could go back and visit my younger self, I would go back, and I was one of those you know 16-year-old kids who was too cool to have a winter jacket because it's like, ah, that's not stylish. I go back in time and slap him upside the head. You idiot! I love being warm now. Scalgary today on 770 CHQR. Tooks are very important, kids, especially if you don't, if you're follically challenged, such as myself. Getting a good laugh out of that one. Yeah, Gord, my operator is giggling over that one. Calgary today, it's chilly, and I realized it. I thought to myself this morning, to go back to that whole idiot comment before we get back to, uh, to Tom Babin here, Go outside, I was going to go take Izzy to the groomers, and I thought, I've got Under Armour on, I've got a big, nice, heavy hoodie, and a toque, and we're good to go. And I opened the door, Izzy looked at me and might as well have said, Dad, you're not ready for this, because she had been outside earlier on in the day. I wasn't ready for that, and I went right back inside and got myself a couple of extra layers. It was just a little frigid. And so I can't imagine 
being a cyclist. And I'm pretty sure a few people, even the cycling community, were like, no, nah, not today. It has been a pretty warm uh, winter, though. So winter cycling, technically, uh, for this winter hasn't been too bad. But Tom Babin, uh, who is the speaker at this, uh, one of the speakers at the Winter Cycling Congress being held here in Calgary, uh, one of the questions that I had for you was the the notion that these things are bad for our community. And I don't, I, I have yet to hear an argument that really economically makes sense. And here's the reason for it is more cycle, more cyclists means fewer vehicles. Fewer vehicles means less congestion. Less congestion means more parking spots, which means by supply and demand rules, cheaper parking. So I, I, I fail to see the pushback and I wonder what we're doing wrong here, if we're selling the message right, or what needs to be said here? Yeah, I absolutely agree. It is um, it is interesting to see the opposition to it, especially when we've seen such success with the cycle track network downtown. Um, you know, it works. The numbers are have, have more than doubled since it went in. Um, and that, that's more people who are not in a car in your way on your morning commute. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, long term, this is, you know, it takes a long time to build a, a bike friendly city. I like to, th- I, I hope that the cycle track network is just the start of things and not the end of it. You know, we've had a bit of a loss of momentum um, when it comes to that kind of thing in Calgary. So I'm hopeful that this maybe will kick things back and we'll get things moving again. I am curious. Are there any projects right off the top of your head? You mentioned connectors, but when it comes to that cycle track, what kinds of projects or what kinds of lines would you like to see built over the next couple of years to maybe make things a little more accessible? I'll give you a good example that drives me crazy almost every day. <laughs> and um, it's on 5th Street at the end of the cycle track, right at 17th Avenue. And the bike lane just ends, so it sort of spits you out into uh, traffic. So you go from this nice, safe, protected zone to fighting with cars. And within about four blocks, there you run into the Elbow River Pathway Network, which connects to the wider cities. You could head all the way down south as far as you need to go. But it's like this four-block gap um, that is just so hard to navigate and so discouraging to people. So if we could just finish things like that in a couple of places, it would just make things so much easier. You wouldn't have to worry about it. You just have a nice, easy ride to work, and I think more people would, would give it a try. Sounds like common sense to me, but I don't know. I know a lot of people <laughs> might not think that way, especially when you look outside right now. But, Tom, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tom Babin, speaker, author, blogger, uh, one of the uh, keynote speakers at the Winter Cycling Congress being held here in Calgary. A lot of different speakers and a lot of different groups here uh, from Sweden and from other countries as well taking part and weighing in on some of the different options that are available. And, And for the record, I'm not a cyclist, but I see the benefits of it. And so that's why I I really struggle with the idea of pushing back on it, because as I mentioned, simple economics would state, and I'm I'm happy to be proven wrong on this, fewer vehicles or more bikes equals fewer vehicles, fewer vehicles equals less congestion, less congestion equals more parking, more parking by supply and demand rules equals cheaper parking. Am I wrong in this? I, I, again, and less frustration when you're trying to find a spot. I think we should work together on that. That's the big point in all of this is we seem to want to talk in our own echo chambers on this. It's like I'm a vehicle driver and to anybody who wants to cycle or anybody who wants to pedestrian be a pedestrian. And it seems to be this us versus them mentality on all of it. Even so, and, and I put full blame on cyclists for this as well is vehicle drivers. No, no, no. 
This city's got major urban sprawl issues, so there has to be vehicles. There should be a mix at the end of the day. We just need to get there, and we need to provide those options. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. She is a Blackfoot a painter, an illustrator, and a documentarian. And now Edmonton's Lauren Crazy Bull is Alberta's and Canada's first artist in residence. And she joins us now on the program. Lauren, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. What does it mean to you to be named the first artist in residence here in Alberta? Um, it's a really big honor for me um, to have this position to be able to uh, share my work with a wider audience and also to represent artists in a way um, and leading conversations. I think that's a really cool thing. And I think it's um, really important for me too as a Blackfoot and Benny artist to um, hold this position and um, just kind of take the experience that I've had as an artist and share that with everyone. Give us a little bit of a background on yourself in terms of your artistic endeavors. What all have you done? What all have you accomplished in your uh, life thus far? I started in school in 2012, but it just really wasn't for me. So after a few years, I kind of just quit and I started doing some community radio work. So I did some work um, kind of making these uh, educational audio documentaries on residential schools, um, violence against Indigenous women, uh, intergenerational trauma, and issues like that specifically in southern Alberta. And so I did a lot of work in radio. And then I did a podcast as well, which was kind of... um, just like sharing knowledge on different issues. And then um, about almost three years ago, I moved here to Edmonton um, and I got a job at iHuman Youth Society um, as the art coordinator. So I was just opening a studio um, every day for inner city youth in Edmonton and teaching um, art and just holding space, uh, connecting the youth artists to the larger arts community. Um, and I worked there for about two years and, uh, and then I kind of started pursuing my own practice and, uh, taking it more seriously. Um, I got, uh, awarded a studio residency at McLuhan house here in Edmonton. And so that's a free studio for one year. So I still have that. Um, I'll be here until the end of May. And um, a lot of my work has been in, um, I guess, like uh, magazines and stuff like that. Like I did a lot of illustration. Um, and then I've also done some work in theater. Um, I did a set design for uh, Making Treaty 7. Wow. Uh, their new play in Calgary. So um, just like I have a wide uh, range of stuff that I've been working on, but right now I'm focusing on uh, portraiture. Well, it's uh, it's an incredible resume for such a uh, a short life thus far. I, I, what I'm mm-hmm. curious about is where do you foresee this new venture taking you? What do you hope to accomplish over the next year uh, with this artist in residence? 
Um, I think like uh, one of the goals is kind of making my practice more sustainable um, and learning from artists across the province to, um, yeah, just to kind of see how you can keep making art and getting closer to like what I what I want my practice to look like, which is just like uh, making my own work. And um, yeah, I, I think like just expanding it, um, being able to uh, create more, sh- more shows uh, for galleries or community shows or whatever. Um, and yeah. And the great part about it, I think, is that it also forwards the conversations surrounding uh, First Nations and building those bridges to the communities as well. Is that something that you, you're looking forward to as well? Yeah, for sure. So the project that I'm doing as part of this residency is creating a Indigenous art map of Alberta. So okay. um what I wanted to do is prioritize language and just kind of visit communities in Alberta and put together, um, put together a map how, of how indigenous folks see Alberta. One of the things that I focus on in my work is, um, I guess showing just like the diversity within indigeneity. So, um, I really want to challenge uh, that kind of notion that we all have kind of the same experience that is um, that is focused on like our experiences of racism. And I think uh, going beyond that conversation is what I'm trying to do with my work and really just focusing on our experiences outside of things uh, like racism or like misunderstanding and stuff like that and kind of going a little bit deeper if that makes sense. Absolutely. No, it's a worthy endeavor, and certainly it uh, sounds as though, and, and judging by some of the work that I have seen, uh, you're a very worthy candidate of Alberta's first artist-in-residence. So, Lauren, uh, congratulations. Uh, looking forward to seeing what you're able to do in the next year, and, and all the best, and hopefully we'll chat with you maybe in a year's time or maybe even during the process to see uh, mm-hmm. how things are going. Thank you so much. Lauren Crazy Bull here on Calgary Today. Just want to take a moment to thank you for taking the time to download and listen to the Calgary Today podcast. Don't forget to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We'll chat with you soon.